Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Is the ascension, not the one from the Acts of the Apostles, just New Age jargon? Who is behind it? Does it involve all of us, whether we want it or not? Hello, and welcome to the 978th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you from WOON AM and FM Radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live, on YouTube and via TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, and that was Paul. And in our first live show of 2023, Happy New Year to everybody, by the way, we bring you an old friend on a subject we've never really covered before. And if you'd like to join in, you can call us from anywhere. That's 401-766-1240, or email paul at behindtheparanormal.com. Coming to us via Skype today from his native Savannah, Georgia, is the one and only Murray Silver. A true Renaissance man, Murray is a prolific author, journalist, nationally acclaimed speaker, and has been everything from a rock concert promoter and photographer to a paranormal researcher and an assistant to the Dalai Lama. It's no exaggeration to call Murray a Hollywood insider. Well known within Mensa, I consider Murray a significant philosopher of our time. His books include Great Balls of Fire, The Uncensored Story of Jerry Lee Lewis, made into the 1989 movie of the same name with Dennis Quaid and Winona Ryder, Behind the Moss Curtain and Other Great Savannah Stories, When Elvis Meets the Dalai Lama, and Tex Locke, The Story of Jim Locke. So, Murray Silver, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Happy New Year, fellas. It's good to see you again. I know. It's been a while, huh? And uh, I guess, well, we'll you, you know us. We always like to just jump straight into it. So let's let's just get right to the meat and potatoes. So things like the ascension and achieving higher frequencies and all that stuff kind of sounds a little bit like New Agey jargon, but you seem to really take them seriously. So tell us why and how it has affected you. Well, the last time we spoke was three years ago, which um, was the onset of the worst period of my life, uh, during which uh, my wife spent an entire year in intensive care and then died when a bone marrow transplant failed. Mm. And there's nothing like going through the death of a close loved one to teach you everything uh, that you have not already learned about life and the death process. Uh, Oddly enough, the last time we spoke, the subject was ghost. And in fact, every time I have appeared in this form, the subject has been spirit in all of its forms, uh, using ghost as an illustration and proof that death is not the end of life. And I informed your audience then, three years ago, that I would not endeavor to return here unless and until I had something new and different to say, realizing that between the three of us, uh, we have said it all. Uh, We had made an argument for the existence of ghosts, illustrated it through ample anecdotal evidence, and explained the differences between ghost and demon and parasite. Uh, further, we had outlined the dangers of pursuing ghosts as a hobby, for nothing good can come of it. Uh, the hobby is fraught with danger. Or as I continue to warn enthusiasts, uh, what are you going to do if your ghost hunt is successful? Uh, what are you going to do if, uh, if the ghost goes home with you? Or even worse, if it goes home in you? Uh, then what? 
And because I came to the realization that in my pursuit of ghosts, I had become eaten up with attachments that affected me on every level, mentally, spiritually, physically, and emotionally, to the point of being suicidal and having undergone an extensive process of ridding these attachments and coming out clean on the other side, uh, I decided to end my pursuit of ghosts if for no other reason that I felt guilty about encouraging others um, to pursue ghost hunting as a hobby uh, via the TV shows I appeared on. I, I want to remind you guys that 10, 15 years ago, when we were having shows like this on your program, uh, you could not turn on the television without seeing a, a program about ghosts. And in fact, several of those shows were the highest rated TV shows on TV. And I appeared on the second season of Ghost Adventures with Zach Bagans uh, in the year 2009. This was the Moon River Brewery episode. That is still to this day, 14 years later, uh, the highest rated and most downloaded show in their 27 seasons. They've been on that long, really? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I am stunned that after 14 years, I'm still recognized on the street by people who've seen the show. I mean, I could invent the cure to cancer. And more people would know me through ghost adventures. Huh. And it's not something that I'm particularly proud of. Um, but uh, after after ridding myself of these attachments, I felt as if I was a new person. And everything about me had changed, including my habits, my diet, my schedule, my outlook, my demeanor, my energy levels, and the... Uh, the more I moved away from ghost, the more my spirit was lightened, enlightened, if you will. And, and rather than avoid the topic of ghost, I realized that it had set me on the path of spiritual enlightenment. Now, I don't know if that's been the end result for you, fellas. After all, Paul's experiences uh, with spirit have been far more remarkable than mine. But, um, after all, there has to be a lesson in there somewhere uh, in the existence of ghosts, even if it's a cautionary tale. Uh, it's a pitiable existence and one to be avoided. But there has to be a reason why the three of us have endured the test that spirits has put us to. And um, in the process, I have used the analogy of the radio dial with each person as a spot on the dial. And as I moved up the dial, away from ghost, which is rather a low-level energy, I found a new setting and a new frequency and a higher vibration. And in the process, there has been this uplifting and ascension, if you will, and suddenly I find a, a remarkable shift in consciousness and awareness to the point where I'm not the same person that you can still see on reruns of Ghost Adventures. And it is this ascension that I'm here to talk about today. Okay. 
So what is this ascension? Well, um, before I get to the particulars of it, I, I want to talk about how we got, I need to provide some context for it. Sure. Um, and I need about 90 seconds to explain how we got here. Because, you know, there's something I have noticed in the past hundred years or so that uh, the paranormal and the metaphysical world is cyclical. It's generational. And about every 20 to 25 years, the paranormal and the metaphysical community comes together under a new banner and incorporates all of the most recent findings of the past 20, 25 years and, and relaunches itself. And the interesting thing to note is it's always born out of a disaster and it ends in a new disaster. And um, every generation in the past hundred years or so um, has had its own spin on the paranormal and metaphysics. Let me take you back briefly as far as 1875. At the end of the Civil War, a U.S. Army colonel and the man who oversaw the Lincoln assassination named Mary Alcott, he and a Russian psychic named Madame Blavatsky uh, attempted to revive the Theosophy movement. The Theosophy, which uh, means divine wisdom, uh, investigates the purpose of life and has been around since the Middle Ages. And it became the idea of the colonel and the psychic to reinvent Theosophy as a new world religion by um, uh, borrowing the best ideas from all the other religions and combining them under the, the law of one. Uh, they took, for example, the tree of life from the Kabbalah. They took uh, Christ consciousness from Christianity, reincarnation from the Hindus, the Four Noble Truths of Buddhism, and they patched them all together. But in doing so, the patches created a jacket that nobody wanted to wear. And by 1900, 25 years, the psychic had been roundly attacked by the dark side as being a fraud, causing her to flee America, and the colonel packed up and moved to India, realizing he was better off working on himself with the little time he had left because he died in 1907. And both the psychic and the colonel waited 50 years to reincarnate in America and take up where they left off. Now, moving on, in America's spiritual development, 25 years after the death of Blavatsky, at the end of World War I, Yogananda arrives in the United States to introduce yoga. And for the next five years, he traveled the country before setting up shop in California and opening a chain of yoga centers that flourish to this day. And uh, at the top of his form, he was recognized uh, around the country, and President Coolidge invited him to the White House in 1927. America was absolutely mad for yoga in the 1920s until the dark side killed off all things spiritual during the Great Depression. So now we move ahead another 25 years, gentlemen. It's the end of World War II, and spirit attempts to revive itself in the United States with the publishing of uh, Yogananda's autobiography, which is becomes the first international bestseller in the metaphysical world that is still in print to this day. And it's also the same time that Joseph Campbell begins teaching mythology, his groundbreaking work, 
And it's also, coincidentally, the heyday of psychic Edgar Cayce, uh, the American Nostradamus, who died in 1945. And so, it's World War II that kills spiritual development in America in the 1940s. Now it starts to get interesting. This is now my generation, the baby boomers, our generation, Paul. Right. In the 1960s, the metaphysical community reforms under the counterculture band. Mm. As Edgar Casey's books proliferate 25 years after his death, and Jesus Christ is depicted as the original hippie, and at the same time there is this explosion in pop culture, musically, uh, that's fueled by experimental drugs that expand consciousness and creativity, uh, wherein music has now turned into a new and different vibration, and then there's this new music color connection. And just when our generation, Paul, enters the brave new world where kids are turning on, tuning in, and dropping out, what does the old order do? What does the dark side do? Uh, they kill us off in Vietnam. They killed off the dreamers, Kennedy and King. And it's interesting to note that many of the great musical voices of our generation all died before they were 27. So, here we have in the United States a modern history of the government killing us off when they aren't enslaving us. Uh, or hasn't anyone bothered to notice that right now one-third of the population is either an employee of the government, in prison, or in school? So, gentlemen, I tell you all of that to tell you this. Um... The the counterculture, what was left of the hippies, what was left of us from the 60s, reformed in the 1990s as the new age. There wasn't anything really new about it, but this was the, the time when me metaphysical bookstores proliferated. There was a slew of bestsellers. Uh, there were psychics and tarot readers and astrologers and Reiki masters and alternative healers. Uh... The Dalai Lama was finally recognized with the Nobel Prize. And the New Age was a phenomenal period in the spiritual advancement of America uh, in which spooky kooky went mainstream. And therein lay its demise because there was a charismatic collapse when many of the biggest names in the movement were attacked by the dark side as being hucksters and frauds. Um, but it wasn't until December 2012 that the New Age came to its official end with the Mayan calendar. And I'm sure you guys remember, because you were on the air then, I'm sure you remember that at around the time of December 2012, a lot of people thought that the world was going to end because the Mayan calendar ended. And they thought it was apocalypse that was going to happen. I, mem I remember back in 2012 people talking about that the magnetic poles would shift and the airplanes would fall out of the sky and the internet was going to fail and there was going to be Armageddon and nuclear war and one disaster after another and the world would be destroyed because uh, apparently the Mayans said that's what was going to happen. Well, that's not what they said was going to happen. The apocalypse that the Mayans spoke of had nothing to do with the destruction of the world. It was actually an astrological event that they were talking about as the sun shifted its 
the way it aligned in the heavens. Uh, and people roundly forgot the meaning of uh, what the word apocalypse actually is. It means to, to, to remove the lid from, to uncover, to disclose. And so, um, instead of a wholesale destruction of the planet, look what has happened in the past ten years. Um, government has collapsed. The Catholic Church has collapsed. Organized religion has come undone. Borders have vanished. There's a mass extinction of animals that has begun. And the planet continues uh, to evolve in violent ways just as it always has. So, that's what set up this new period of ascension because at the same time, ten years ago, when it seems like we were at the bottom of the very darkest part of this age, um, there was a group of intrepid people who decided that it was time to free mankind from the belief systems that have enslaved us and the governments that have enslaved us. And that is what has given rise to, to the ascension. So, um, as I have briefly outlined here, and thank you for your indulgence, uh, it seems that in every era of human spiritual development, as we ascend to a higher level, the parasitic dark creates a confusion that produces the hatred and the fear that it feeds upon. And uh, whereas humans are predisposed to focus on the negative, there is now a new spirit in which uh, many people realize that goodness abounds if you seek it. So all of this, gentlemen, in my opinion, has set up a new era of ascension, which is not a new idea. Uh, the Buddha, Jesus Christ, being the most notable examples of ascension. And so that's what I came here to talk about today. Okay. Ben, you want to uh, jump in here? Sure. Um <clears throat> Well, Murray, it's it's been it's been a while since we've we've talked, um, and I, like you, have also had a very interesting last few years um, in my own right, and I I, I think it's I, I think the times kind of call for you know sink or swim in sort of a metaphysical sense in in general, uh, whether whether it's mentally, physically, spiritually, in in all that regard, because there's a lot riding against. Everybody, really, even in the mundane world, you know, it's um, it's it's not it's not fun being under the age of fifty <laughs> in twenty twenty three. Um, there's there's a lot going on that eventually I and my wife will eventually have to deal with, and everyone in my generation, which is uh, not going to be fun. But hey, you know, you deal with the cards that you're dealt, and in that regard, uh, there's. There's a problem with the way we as modern people deal with the world around us. And it started, um, you could argue in, in the, in, during the Enlightenment, where, you know, there's this idea of postmodernism, right? Where we take things that were working forever and then we just throw it out, 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 until you run out of things to throw out. 
And then there's this inevitable problem that you're going to have to deal with in postmodernism, which I found when I was in college in art school, where they were like, oh, wow, you know, postmodernism, it's timeless. You know, you, you, you know, you have all these, these themes that you're dealing with and you can't, it's apolitical. It's a, you know, historical. You don't know where it's coming from. You throw it all out. What do you have left? You know, you start with something new. The funny thing with humanity, and you hit the nail on the head here, Murray, is that it's cyclical. You know, para- the paranormal is is cyclical, and there's this idea posited by this guy named Richard Rollins, who's a philologist, and he points out that there's this sort of idea of a universal history, and I think it's really fascinating because we hear a lot of these stories, and because they're they're in different cultures, we like to think that oh well they're all different, and it's they're not. They're they're different tellings of similar events. Or they're just symbols of stories that are just, you know, they're, they're concrete and they're, they're very prevalent throughout human history. These, these same themes and stories that we always hear, like the story of like King Arthur is very similar to, you know, any, anything in, in the, you know, in the, in the Christian Bible, or you can even equate it to pagan myths. All of these things are all, they're all pointing to, to some sort of objective truth. And we are all subjects sub, with our subjective views of this of this objective reality. And so where I'm going with this is there are these symbols that that exist, and I, I think we're, we're have, we have a problem nowadays of where we're, we're hitting this wall that postmodernism has constructed, which is nihilism. because you can only throw out things so much where you get to a point where you can either pick, well, we can just be nihilists about it, which we're seeing a lot nowadays, which is, well, nothing matters, so I'm just going to do whatever I want, and who cares? Or you turn back and you look at what worked before. There's really, there's really nothing else you can kind of do, and we're, we're at, at a point in human history where we're kind of trying to figure out which way to go. Is that, is, am I heading in the right direction, Murray? Yes, sir. And let me run this by you, because I know uh, your old man's going to get a kick out of this. <laughs> Everything we know is wrong, so says Paul Eno referring to spirit, but is now being applied to everything else. Mm. Uh, science and history and religion is being rewritten by intrepid thinkers who are proving that the truth has been suppressed in an effort to enslave mankind. And one example is by showing that the the biblical story of creation is deeply flawed where it isn't incomplete. And, uh, for example, there's now ample evidence to show that the ancient civilizations of Egypt and India and Mexico are built atop other great civilizations that go back a hundred thousand years before uh, history and archaeology says they do, where a time when actually when gods actually walked the earth, and that mankind. Uh, there's also evidence to show that mankind has been seeded throughout by alien races. So just just to shine a light on these advancements in the past ten years has been cataclysmic to the old order, as you point out. So the individual right now has an important choice to make, whether to remain a pawn and a slave 
to dead governments and religions uh, that are stuck in the 3D world or ascend to the higher dimensions of unconditional love and compassion and equality. But what I'm here to remind your listeners, gentlemen, is that many of them have already embarked upon the path of ascension, whether they are completely aware of it or not. In fact, this radio program is the vanguard of the ascension movement by remaining one of the very, very few outlets for an open, honest discussion of controversial subjects. This is show 978. It is... It is it is always um, a, a brilliant exercise and cutting-edge thought. You've got a lot of people here on your show that are disclosing things that the, the order uh, does not want bandied about. And God bless you for doing what you do. And it is my prediction in the year ahead that things are going to change for you exponentially because a program like this, uh, as rare as it is, is going to become even more essential in these trying times. Hmm. All right. Well, thank you for that, Murray. We appreciate the uh, the good thoughts there, especially. Perhaps we should take our break very quickly. Why don't we take our break, then we'll get into some listener questions. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Stick with us. We'll be right back with our terrific guest, Murray Silver. Hi, this is Gary Smith. Join me for Do You Remember? Tuesday through Friday mornings at 9.30 here on ON Radio. Hi, this is Joe Callahan, your Mater D inside the Tiki Bar, heard Monday nights at 6 on ON Radio. It's one full hour of Jimmy Buffett music. The Tiki Bar is brought to you by Attorney Bob Lauder, the Carew Investment Group, Pep and Lumber, and Family Discount Furniture. ON Radio, ON Worldwide. You can depend on us for public service, ON Radio. Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal on WON AM and FM Radio. And Sorry, I was, I, was, uh, I, was, uh, I, I jumped the gun a little bit there. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, I listened um, with great interest to everything you've already saying. We're going to get right back to what he said. But let's get to a question from Peter in Bogota, Colombia, our good friend. Yes. Two questions, actually. Indeed. So we'll start with one of two. So uh, Peter writes to us, uh, I listened again to your 2009 show, uh, 89 with Murray about the death experience. What have you learned since then about uh, what you think happens and how did you learn it? Well, gentlemen, I will tell you that uh, my wife of 25 years ago died uh, a year ago. Um, She went through a torturous process. She had been sick for 25 years. Uh, We had been preparing ourselves for um, the end game. Um, it was a fascinating process in that some of the really classic things that you always hear about happened to us. Uh, for example, at the same time that she lay dying in intensive care in Sao Paulo, Brazil, her mother was three hours away in San Jose dos Campos where she had lapsed in and out of a coma because of advanced Alzheimer's. And for a couple of years, she was unable to talk or walk. She was cared for at home by nurses. And then she 
she uh, came out of the coma long enough to tell her nurses that her mother and her grandmother had come to take her home to the farm where she was born and raised. Now, the nurses knew that, that her mother and grandmother had been dead for years. And so when when uh, the old woman pointed to the door and said, no, they're standing right there, the nurses couldn't see them. Uh, the old woman said, well, you need to pack my things because they're taking me home tomorrow. And then she began to give her nurses orders. She said, um, take care of my husband and my son. And I want you girls to divide my daughter's possessions among you. And they said, but Donna Lucila, uh, Christina's not dead. We, we can't take her things. Uh, because the old woman was, was unaware that her daughter was in intensive care. She had no idea. And, uh, she said, oh, no, no. She said, Christina will be coming with us. And the old woman died, and then Christina died a few days after her. And the interesting thing was that I was not in Brazil with Christina when she passed. There was a long list of very bad reasons why I was not there. I will never forgive myself for not being with her. She actually died on the phone at the end of a conversation we were having. But the morning of her death, the morning of her death, while in the sleep state, um, she came to me. It wasn't a dream. It was a visitation in which she said to me, uh, we, were, we were at an airport saying goodbye, which was actually the last time I'd seen her in life, was saying goodbye to her at the airport. And she appeared to me. She said, take care of yourself. And then she turned and ran to get on the plane. And when I woke up later that morning, I called her on the phone, realizing that she had come to say goodbye to me because she couldn't actually physically. She had lapsed into a coma. She was in and out. She could not speak because she had a lung infection. So in her passing, she, you know, many of these, we, we've all heard stories like this before of, of your guides or your, your, your guardian angels coming to take you home when you pass. And so that was my actual experience when, when Christina died. Um, and until you've gone something, gone through something like that, uh, it's just a, uh, someone else's uh, story. But that's what happened to me. And um, it was interesting for, for the past year, I didn't really hear from Christina. And we were both deeply involved in spirit in all of its forms. And then on the one-year anniversary of her passing, Early in the morning, I felt um, I felt her hand in that old familiar way. She touched me, and and as if to say, "Hi, I'm here, just passing through." But um, I am sorry that there haven't been more incredible uh, happenings in the past year. But but that's what the death process with my wife had done. Well, we have to say shown. that uh, we had the honor of meeting Christina only once. And uh, we were at the Mensa conference in Birmingham, thanks to you. And um, the first thing that struck me was the love between you two. It was your defining characteristic. So we've suffered with you in many ways through this whole process, and and we love both of you. Um, So uh, is there a second question there? There is. Uh, And the second question is... 
Uh, in the same show, number 89, a listener wrote in and said they were Christian and had an out-of-body experience. They saw a figure, uh, but were disappointed that the figure was not Jesus, but a figure with the same face as his. Uh, what are your current thoughts on uh, what that means? Well, this, this ascension process that I wanted to speak to has shown me spirit in, in an entirely different light, if only because my settings have changed. And, and I'm now resonating with the world at a different vibrational level. And as an, as an example, gentlemen, I want to I want to pass on this remarkable uh, experience. Uh, Thirty years ago, I was living with and working with and studying with a group of Tibetan Buddhist monks who were traveling the country and performing a program of their sacred chants and dances and creating sand mandalas for university and and, college, and uh, museum audiences around the country. I was their road manager. Um, and and while, while doing this, um, I had the opportunity to study with the two highest ranking lamas in Tibetan Buddhism, second and third only to His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Uh, they were... His Eminence Dubtob Rinpoche from Nepal and His Holiness the Rizong Rinpoche from Ladakh. Uh, these men had spent their entire lives in monasteries. And if viewers are interested, uh, the title is Rinpoche, R-I-N-P-O-C-H-E. And it is a title that is given to people who at birth are recognized as incarnate high lamas who have the ability to direct their reincarnation to a particular time and place and actually take up where they left off in the last lifetime. And there's no more famous example of this consciousness than the Dalai Lama himself. He is the 14th Dalai Lama, but the spirit that he embodies embodied his 13 predecessors. So there are people who are living life at this level. And the fascinating teaching, to get the answer to the question, the fascinating teaching that Dubtop Rinpoche gave me was he said, you know, I can take you to the front gates of the Pure Land Shambhala, the, the Tibetan Buddhist heaven, if you will. He said, I can conduct you to the front gate. He said, but your ability to see it depends on your vibrational level. He said, if you are not advanced spiritually, all you're going to see is jungle. So so consequently, gentlemen, this essential process that I talk about is the process by which we raise our vibrational levels to a point where under the new settings we experience the higher dimensions beyond 3D, the fourth and fifth dimensions and beyond. That's what solution means. And, and the collective will not forgive me if I don't speak to the actual workings of this ascension. And if you like, I can take you through it, but if not, we can proceed according to questions or whatever points we want to talk about. No, go ahead. Well, all right then. Um, this, the essential way it works is this. Um, 
let's start with the Bible, which is not a history or a scientific journal, by the way. It's a bunch of stories that are designed to develop a relationship with God. And it is the reason why Christ often taught using parables. But there are two things that I want your listeners to keep in mind as I talk about this ascension. First, is that the first thing the Creator does after creating the heavens and the earth is He shines a light, which is the source of all life. And second, the Creator plants a tree of life in the Garden of Eden, uh, which is... Uh, intended to nourish and heal mankind, and at the same time, he plants a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which man is forbidden to eat of, because that's what God reserves for himself. Because the Bible clearly says to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is uh, it allows man to be as God. So that is why it's forbidden man to eat of the tree. And apparently, by the Bible's description, and in several places said that God walked among us. This is important to remember. So, let's keep in mind that the natural and the spiritual world were organized as fractals. F-R-A-C-T-A-L. Get up. A fractal is a being that divides itself into parts that are similar at every lower level um, as a tree divides into branches. A tree, going back to the tree analogy. So just as branches are an inferior part of the superior whole, humans are all branches of the same tree of life, which is the origins of the law. So now let's return to the Bible at John 15 where God says he is the vine and we are all his branches. We are not the vine itself or the tree, but we are the fractals of God made in his image. And we must behave in accordance with God in order to resonate with God. That is what ascension is. So, although uh, the divine human exists in these higher dimensions, we can only see the 3D reality with our eyes. But through ascension, we can access the higher dimensions. For example, our guides, the guides that came and took my mother-in-law home, the guides and the guardian angels or a life form that are directly above us, ascension-wise, and that there are many levels of angels above them and deities above them and the Creator God atop all of it. So, as this understanding increases of this multidimensional world we live in, and of which there are ten, that really matter to us. Our DNA is activated at these higher levels and it reunites us with higher dimensional beings. And the interesting thing about this is that in this this new process of ascension that many people are experiencing, it is reviving ancient traditions that were the actual origins of life on this planet and which were destroyed and suppressed by the powers.
So, as we speak, there are people in the collective that are awakening every day to the realization that we are fractals of gods and goddesses that we were told were mythological, but actually walk the earth. So, look, e even though we all live on this planet, our perception differs and our level of consciousness and the frequency at which we resonate with the world. We are each our own little radio station on the dial. And in the end, gentlemen, it's all about finding the light within and restoring our power and realizing the interconnectivity of all things. Or as we call it, the unity with a capital U. Yes, the law of one. Yeah, Ben... Uh so you want to jump in? Yeah, I. Uh, so it's it's fascinating that you bring up this whole idea of fractals because I have spent a good amount of time studying uh, the cosmology of the ancient world, and I think it's important to understand how cosmology fits into all of it, which is you know not necessarily you know the study of stars and such, but, uh, kind of, but understanding how. It's more of our, our sort of universal, or well, our view of the world around us and how we interact with reality, which it's very important because there's this tendency to break everything into a, a dualistic view. There's spiritual and there's physical, and you're in one camp or the other. And it's like, it's, it's way more complicated than that, but also more simple than that, which is there's this idea in the old world of, you know, there's a multiplicity of realities happening at once. And to take it a further step back, understanding what mythology is, which is, right. it's it's not just a, a, a you know, a story, a, fab, a fib or a fable, it's, it's, it's being within a story. And it's participating in a story. So if you look back at old rituals, like, um, let's say one of the most prominent medallions in the Mediterranean for a really long time was having a medallion of Medusa. And the idea of having a Medusa medallion was because something awful happened to Medusa by participating in that story, because the story of the Gorgons is very tragic. They would repel any bad events because they're wearing something tragic. So Greek tragedies were a thing, basically a story to participate in as a ritual to prevent bad stuff from happening to you. And so that was the idea of ritual. So, and... That's one of the four ways that we sort of interpret and order reality. And the key word is order here. And humans order reality through ritual, language, art, and... Um, ritual, language, art... What am, I, what am I forgetting? Oh, music. Duh. Um, and those are the four ways that we order our reality. And something that has been kind of forgotten in the West is why religion's a thing at all and why spirituality is a thing at all. And so in the 60s and 70s, it makes sense that, you know, there's this sort of deficit, this void, this something that people are longing for that they, that they, that they require and try to break down any doors they can to get to it. It makes sense to me. But there's something that, that we're really missing, which is the whole point of us existing in the first place. And it's, it's not so much we we forgot our cosmology and i think it's i think the idea of the paranormal itself is something that's reaching towards it because the idea of hierarchy in human civilization has been around forever you know, we we have hierarchies we have concentric circles we have civilization in the center and then the further out you go you know the farther away from the center you get 
that's where you have these things on the fringes, ghosts of the dead that want revenge or have unfinished business or monsters like cryptids. So when you hear things like, you know, we have our modern names for things like upright canine cryptids because werewolf sounds too silly. It, it, it's what it is. <laughs> like, when you, it, that, that's what it is because these stories are constantly repeating because they're always there. They're always a portion of our of our civilization. And this idea that we're fractals, it's nothing new. But in, in the West, it kind of got forgotten. But in, in the East, right? So like in, in Eastern Orthodoxy, the whole point of salvation is three things. Transformation, purification, deification. That's it. Those are the three things right there. And through this process called theosis, becoming like God. And that never changed. It's still there. But in the West, it changed. And it, it disappeared and it fell apart. And, and somewhere along the line, there's this story that's constantly been a thing, which is we try to control our reality around us through either technology or magic or whatever. But you know, there's really not much of a difference between the two if you look at the definitions, because the idea is to stretch oneself out. And there's really only two things that individuals do. You try to protect yourself or expand yourself. And so through a sort of community of individuals, or if you want to call that, or some sort of higher up, or, or some sort of oppressive power, or whatever, by expanding them, expanding themselves so much, you know, they it, it always fails. The story always ends badly for them, and it's just a matter of time for the people who are kind of dealing with it to just kind of deal with it, and then move on, and then keep moving with the future. The problem is the story keeps repeating, and at some point the story will have to stop repeating. But either way, it's it always ends badly for the people who try to control things around them. So let me ask you this, Murray: um, for this this story to keep repeating, is is it is it sort of a a parallel to the idea of the ah um, oh, geez the cycle the cycle of rebirth in like Buddhism or Hinduism that it's this constantly repeating cycle that eventually we will have to break out of? Is that that what I'm what I'm picking up? Well, I think I, Spirit is telling me that we are remiss if we don't explain from a scientific point of view exactly what a fractal is, and then we will get to the answer to your question. Mm. If we don't speak to the science, there are going to be listeners out there raising hell with me as a quack. So let me take just a moment to run down what this fractal is scientifically. Sure thing. Not theoretically. Um. Human beings are made up of smaller and smaller parts. Cells, down to molecules, down to atoms, and down to subatomic quanta. Q-U-A-N-T-A. Quanta are the smallest particles and are basically photons of light. Now, we are therefore at our core light beings. And the reason this is incredibly important in answering your question is that throughout history, uh, light beings have been described in Tibetan Buddhism. Jesus Christ was described as a light being when he ascended. And it's also evident in the aura of people whose spirituality is such that it literally just beams from them. And so we are all light bodies. We are all at our core made of light, which is the reason why the sun is essential to us. So, that being said, 
humans are fractals that also have higher levels that cannot be seen in the 3D world any more than we can see molecules and atoms. So we are presently experiencing a lower level phenomena and cannot see the higher forms any more than we can see the lower forms at the atomic level. So, therefore, a human being consists of natural light. And that makes us part of the whole, of the universe. That light that is spoken of in creation, this creation story of Genesis, when God said, the very first thing God said, let there be light, boom. That's everything in everybody. And just as humans are created from light, our spirit must consist of a spiritual light. And that is what ascension is all about. And what many people, what many of your listeners are in the process of discovering is that they are fractals of gods and goddesses from the great past civilizations and it's only the dark that has tried to suppress this knowledge and which cannot be suppressed any longer. And the collective be upset with me if I did not point this out and make this explicitly understood that we are all light beings. And that is what the ascension is, essentially, gentlemen. It's tapping into this energy and being able to access the higher dimensions. And if you ask me how you do it, follow me now. Because this is the most important thing I'm going to tell you today. You do it old school. You do it as it's always been done. When people say, well, how do I ascend? And how, how do I raise my vibrational level? Well, I got news for you. There's no trick to it. You do it the way Dubtub Rinpoche did it. You do it like Rizong Rinpoche did it. You did it like Jesus the Christ did it. You do it through diet meditation and prayer. You turn off the TV. You cut out the news. You separate yourself. And you spend your time in meditation and prayer. And it is phenomenal what the human mind can accomplish. There's one, there's, please indulge me for one moment, because Spirit is demanding I tell you this. His Holiness Rizong Rinpoche, is now in his 90s. He lives in a monastery in Ladakh, which is cut off from human contact nine months out of the year by snow. You can't get to him nine months out of the year. He has four times in his life that I know of gone into a three-year-long retreat in which he goes into a single cell of his monastery, closes the door, doesn't come out for three years, and he chants the same 100-syllable mantra of Yamataka, the destroyer of death, a deity, for 20 hours a day. He eats once a day, he sleeps four hours a day, and for three years the man only chants the same 100-syllable mantra so that he can achieve a perfect union with a deity. And he's done this four times. And when you meet His Holiness Teresa Rinpoche, you understand you are in the presence of a realized being. He's not like you and me. 
He is a realized being. And that's what makes the difference, gentlemen. If you want to change your vibrational level, you've got to put, you've got to put in the time in meditation and prayer. You've got to speak yourself in a religious tradition that will give you the foundation so that you don't go crazy. When you start accessing other dimensions and these other beings, it's crazy making stuff if you are not grounded. But I digress. I, I, I'm sorry, but I was compelled to deliver that message. I'm not, not sure exactly all. what I said. But that's the way spirit is when it comes through. Well, but, wow. But the, I mean, there it is. Simple message. Meditation, prayer, and fasting. But um, You still shortcut. Just a shortcut. And you know that, Paul? You were in a seminary. Yep. You yep. know better than anybody. I like to think uh, I've got a naughty acquaintance with that whole thing. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I think we're going to try to work in one final question that's a little off topic, but it's from a uh, Phil, who is a show reporter, has now moved to your neighborhood from the middle of the Litchfield Triangle. Ben, if you want to. All right, Murray. Well, this. it's a little kind of it's kind of low key. Let's see. So. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see if we can get get this get this in real real fast. Um, so Phil writes to us. Uh, green orbs have been reported along Route 17, the coastal highway here in Savannah. I also witnessed these dancing green orbs. They followed me home one night. In your experience with the paranormal in Savannah, have you encountered these orbs? Uh, what or whom do you think they are? Do you think they have a consciousness? I two things. Um, I have taken thousands of pictures of spirit in all of its forms, including orbs. I can produce uh, spirit on demand. I could take you to Catholic Cemetery in Savannah where my family has been buried for seven generations and introduce you to my great-great-grandparents. And interestingly enough, my great-great-grandfather was born in Ireland and um, died in Savannah around 1900. And he typically announces himself uh, as a green... He's been dead a long time. He announces himself as a green orb that follows me around the cemetery like a puppy dog. Um... So green is not a typical color that you see among orbs. Uh, but that being said, that's my experience with green orbs. Secondly, uh, when you're talking about Savannah, Georgia, you're talking about one of the most haunted cities in the United States, and for good reason. Uh, every single war ever fought on American soil was fought in downtown Savannah, Georgia at some point, including the second bloodiest battle of the American Revolution. More than a, a thousand men died in less than an hour, and they were buried wherever they fell which means that if you put spade to soil in anywhere in Savannah, Georgia, chances are you're going to dig up a bullet or a button or a bone. We've also had four great fires. We've had yellow fever epidemics. And long before the white man came to Savannah, uh, this was um, Indian territory. Well, Murray, on that cheerful note, we're going to have to, we're out of time. So thank you. We have plenty of material to continue with. Ben, what do we have going on for next week? Well, uh, we have some some fun fun things that we oh wow that that fast huh where well, we're gonna jump right right past everything. Yep. Um, next week, January fifteenth, we'll bring you an open line show to answer listener questions on all sorts of paranormal subjects. First one of the year. Uh, plan to call in or get your questions to us at paul at behindtheparanormal.com. And we leave you today with a thought from American poet and essayist Diane Ackerman. It began in mystery, it will end in mystery, but what a savage and beautiful country 
lies in between. Indeed. I'm Paul Eno. I'm Ben Eno, and you can look for us next week. Same Eno time, same Eno <laughs> channel here on WON, AM and FM, 1240 and 99.5 FM. And uh, you can... Check us out, yes. com. Indeed. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll she- we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.